Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Good morning, Gateway. Uh, My name is Jeff Pruitt. I'm the children and young families pastor here. And we're going to be talking about uh, Galatians 3 this morning. We're going to be reading through Galatians 3. So if you have your Bibles, your apps, however you access God's Word, you might want to go ahead and turn there. Fair warning, Galatians 3 is a little wordy. It's a little long. Uh, Paul, who wrote uh, the book of Galatians, is kind of known for sometimes being a little bit confusing. So we're going to try to uh, really take a step back and just simplify it as easy as possible so that we can understand this sometimes confusing and sometimes hard to to follow text in Galatians 3. Um, If you've been with us the past four weeks, or really this summer, you probably know this is what we're doing. We're working through the book of Galatians, and we're using this idea of not giving away your freedom. Don't give away your freedom, because what had happened in the church in Galatia is is the Christians there who Paul had, had gone to and shared the gospel with and had accepted Christ as their Savior and understood that that by grace, the grace of God that was given to them, and through faith, through their faith in the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, they had obtained salvation and were now sons and daughters of God. These Christians in the churches in Galatia now were being confused, were being um, really lied to, by these other teachers who were of Jewish origin, they were called Judaizers, who were telling these, gen- these Gentile Galatian Christians that it's great that, that God's grace came to you and that you have faith in Jesus and his sacrifice, but to truly be a part of the church, you gotta do a little bit more. Now, you've got to follow the Jewish um, calendar and the Jewish um, feasts and the Jewish celebrations. You've got to you got to make sure all of your males are circumcised. You got to follow our dietary laws and restrictions. So you got to do all of the Jewish things on top of your faith to truly be a part of the church. And they would they would they would come up with some great arguments like you know Jesus was Jewish. And so Jesus growing up followed these things. And so, so you have to follow these things. And if you've been here at all in the past really four weeks, you have realized and seen that there was a big disagreement in the early church about what else believers had to do to become a part of the church. And Paul, writing in Galatians, told these believers and told everyone, you don't have to do anything else. That by grace, through your faith in Jesus, you are a follower of Christ. And so you are now a part of the church in full standing, full benefits, everything that it means to be a Christian. You have that through what Jesus did on the cross. You don't have to do anything more. 
And so the past two weeks or so, we've seen where the other, like Paul was, was, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of New Testament Christians. Another guy who was on that Mount Rushmore was Peter. And so we've seen where, where Peter at first agreed with Paul because Peter had an experience with this guy named Cornelius that was a Gentile who was saved as well. And so Peter agreed with Paul that, no, these Gentile non-Jewish Christians, faith by grace through faith is enough and that's all they need. But when Peter started getting peer pressured by all these other Jews to, to no, there's more you got to do, Peter. Remember, remember, we follow all of these, these traditions and we follow all of these laws. Peter started to kind of step away from what he agreed with Paul. And there was a big confrontation between Paul and Peter. That was, that was Galatians 2 was all about that. So we're going to move on now into Galatians 3. And in Galatians 3, Paul continues to explain why... What he is saying is the truth. Why salvation is by grace, through faith, not by works. That we can't earn God's favor. It is a gift from God through what Jesus did for us on the cross. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. As we start off, I want to um, ask a question. Uh, when I was reading through Galatians, and really this whole book of Galatians, it makes me think of something, and I'll explain why, that my kids seem to ask me multiple times in every, other, in every, day, every day. And so I'm wondering if there's any parents out there that get the same question, or probably grandparents as well. And the question is this, is can I have some candy. Parents, do you ever get asked that question? Does anybody get asked that question multiple times every day? Grandparents, do you ever get asked that question? Do you guys ever say no? My my parents don't ever say no. But so we have six kids running around our house right now. And so we get it multiple times from multiple kids every single day. I think they like gather together like at the beginning of the day and like kind of schedule out when am I going to ask? When are you going to ask? When am I going to ask? I'll ask here. You ask two hours later. You ask because I think they figured out that if they wear us down enough and we're tired, we might just say, yeah, whatever. Just go ahead and get a piece of candy, whatever. Um, but I say that because one of, our, one of our daughters, our youngest daughter, Molly Kate, um, when we do say yes, when we do say yes, you can have a piece of candy. Uh, she, all my, our other kids, they run. They know exactly what they want to get. They run and they grab it and they tear right into it. Molly Kate is very methodical in her candy choosing. Like she goes back there really slowly and kind of deliberately like puts out some different options and she'll look through them and she just has a hard time deciding what piece of candy she wants for the day. <clears throat> I think she knows like this is, this is a big big choice. Like this is my candy for the day. There's no more. So I got to choose wisely here. Every once in a while, she usually ends up picking, but every once in a while, you know, we'll be in another room and we'll start to hear this, like this little whimper. And when that happens, we know what's going on is usually she's boiled it down to two choices and she just can't choose between the two. And every once in a while, when she gets really desperate, She'll get both pieces of candy and come all the way to us and look at us with this like angst on her face, like she's in pain or something and just like, <laughs> and we're like, Molly Kate, knowing what it is, what's, use your words, what's, what's wrong? I can't decide like that, you know, and you know what she's wanting us to say, right? Oh, you can have both. Yeah, just take both of them, right? We'd never fall for that. But 
what we do say to her, what we do tell her is, Molly Kate, it has to be one or the other. You can't have both. That's, that's, and that's kind of we every time. And finally, after 30 minutes or so, she'll finally choose her piece of candy. Um, and I'll tell you that story because as I'm reading through Galatians, this book, it's, it's kind of the way Paul is approaching these, these Christians in Galatia. Like they're, they're torn between what Paul taught them that Jesus alone is enough for salvation and what these Judaizers, these Jewish teachers are coming and saying, yeah, but to really be a part of our group, you got to follow all of these, these hundreds of year long traditions that are also a part of this. You got to do all of it. And in Galatians, Paul is basically writing to them saying, you can't have both. It's got to be one or the other. The moment Galatia and churches in Galatia, the moment you decide that Jesus isn't enough for your salvation and to be a part of the church, the moment you start to add works to it, the moment you add traditions to it, the moment you add laws to it is the moment that you make Jesus irrelevant and not enough. In adding these things, you degrade the importance of Jesus and you make him smaller when our whole life's goal is to make him bigger and bigger and bigger and to raise him up higher and higher. And so Paul is telling the Galatians throughout this letter, you can't have it both ways. It can't be both. It's one or the other. Either you were saved by grace through faith in Christ or you're saved by works by tradition, and because you earned it. And we're going to see in Galatians, right, as we get started here, is the the Galatians were clear that they were saved by grace through faith in Christ and in Jesus alone. Where they got fooled, where they got messed up, was they started to think that even though they were saved that way, now that they're believers, they can continue on in this other way. So they start to think, well, yeah, I was saved by grace through faith, Jesus alone, not by works. I didn't earn it. God came and miraculously saved me and and paid for my sin and all that. But now that I'm a believer, now I've got to follow all these traditions and all these rules and all these other things added into it. And so we're going to see now in Galatians 3 that Paul cannot more strongly tell them that that is completely and utterly false. Now watch what he says right here. And this is why I say that verse three, I mean, sorry, chapter three, verse one. Look how Paul starts this. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, could you imagine if Molly Kate came to me with those two pieces of candy and looked at me like, I can't decide. And I looked at her and said, you foolish Molly Kate, who has bewitched you? You know, that, that's strong, right? People would be like, uh, you need some parenting help, right? That, that's not, that's how strong of words this is that Paul is saying to these Galatians. That the idea that you are saved by faith alone, not by works, but then you get to live out your life earning God's favor through, through works is absolutely foolish. That's what he's telling them. Because this is what he says. Listen, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That means I came and I shared the true gospel with you. Verse two, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit 
by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And of course, the answer is by faith, not by works. Are you so foolish? There he goes again. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So he's saying, do you really think having started by the Holy Spirit entering you in faith, that now you become a stronger, more mature Christian by doing it on your own and leaving that behind? He's like, that is absolutely foolish. Verse four, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you, God, and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And of course, the answer again is God performs miracles. God supplies the spirit through faith, not by works, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So let's stop right there for a moment. That's the first six verses. And what God is saying really through Paul is simple. He's saying, continue in the same way that you started. Continue Galatians in the same way that you started. You started faith 100% in Jesus and in Jesus alone. You started by recognizing your need, your inability to save yourself, your inability to do what is right, and the payment that Jesus made you recognized. And that is how you were saved. And that is how you received the Holy Spirit into your heart from the Father. So he's saying, continue in that. That doesn't change once you become a believer. Then you start to do it on your own. Then you start to follow traditions. Then you start to follow the law. Then you start to add all these extra things that you have to do to earn God's favor. No, Jesus was enough. This reminds me of, of I played baseball uh, I, through into college and stuff, played at Erskine College. Erskine got really good. They were like national champs or something. That was after me. We were not that good. But, um, but I played at Erskine. And um, I remember like vividly this idea of continue in the way that you started because our coach would get so mad at us. We would, you know, we had our series. We'd play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And on the Thursdays before our weekend practices, we'd always scrimmage each other just to kind of, we didn't want to do anything too hard, too heavy, but we kind of team up with two different teams to scrimmage and play. And every Thursday that we played, we were like amazing. Our pitching looked good. Our defense was good. Our our hitting was good. Like it looked like, man, this is a good team. And then what would happen is Friday rolls around and Saturday and Sunday, and we'd get absolutely destroyed or swept for the whole weekend or maybe win, maybe eke out one win or so. And it wasn't because the other teams were that much better than us. What happened was, for some reason, whatever we would do on Thursday, we couldn't replicate on Friday, on Saturday, and Sunday. And I remember our coach, like he would, by Sunday, when we finally lost our second or third game, he'd just be there and just like so frustrated and just like, guys, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. If you just do what you did Thursday, you're going to win these games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Just continue to do what you did at practice. Do that now in the games, and and you're going to win. You're going to be all right. And we never figured it out. We never had a great season. We were always like just middle of the road. Because of that, we could never continue what we did in practice and apply it to the rest of our, our games. 
Maybe sometimes life is like that. Like maybe like you, you at some point in your life, you know, you, you followed Christ closely or you had some, some good fortune in your life or things were, were, were going well in your life and some decisions were made or maybe even like the Galatians, like you, you listened to some bad advice or something like that. And what was going well started to kind of go worse and worse and worse. There's this song by the, counting, uh, the Casting Crowns, not the Counting Crows, called, called Slow Fade. You may have heard the song Slow Fade before. And it talks about this idea that, that our lives can be going on a trajectory towards God and honoring God. And then little by little, by some of the decisions that we make here and there, sometimes big decisions, sometimes small decisions, our lives can start to fall off. And before we know it, we can look back and be like, what happened in my life for me to go from where I was down to where I am now. And it's the same idea is we did something different. We chose a different route. We did not continue in the same way that we started. When things were going good, we were making the right choices. We were doing the things we were supposed to do. But at some point, we didn't continue with that and everything fell apart. I used to, I ran some half marathons about five, six years ago, and um, I would love to be able to do that right now, but I could probably not even go half a mile right now. Why? Because I haven't continued the training that I was, that I was doing then, and so it's all fallen down. If I would have continued in what I was doing, then things would be the same as they were back then. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Galatians, if, if you do not continue in, in, in trusting in Jesus for your salvation, if you don't continue with Christ and start to try to do it on your own, it's going to end up really bad for you. So remember and always continue in faith, not in works. So let's continue on. Now Paul starts to get kind of wordy. He wants to use um, the, the history of, of Israel, of the Jewish people, to help explain this in a little more detail. So we're going to be looking as we read this for three different events or three different uh, people, three different things that have happened that Paul is going to talk about. So let's start off in verse 7. And this is what Paul says. Know then that this is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, meaning that God, even back in Abraham's day, knew that the whole world was going to be offered salvation, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the first thing that happens, the first first person, first entity, first event was God made a promise. God made a promise to Abraham. So thousands of years, even before Jesus came on the scene, and you may know the story if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the world had, had turned their back on God, was not following God. There were, there were no believers on the earth. God looked down and he chose Abraham and he said to Abraham, Abraham, leave your territory that you're in now with all these non-believers. Go to a place that I'm going to show you. And through you, I am going to bless the entire world. This is way back in Genesis 12. Through you, I am going to bless the entire world. Meaning through you, Abraham, the whole world is going to experience salvation. And of course, we know now that through Abraham, Jesus Christ 
came. So that's the promise that God made to Abraham. Let's look at the next one. Verse number 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So now he's going to shift. He just talked about a promise made to Abraham. Now he's going to talk about the law. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And so now Paul brings up number two, which is the law. So if you, again, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that God made a promise to Abraham over 400 years later, after the Israelites, after God's people are, have been rescued from Egypt, then God sets up this law with Moses, right? So the promise and then the law. But what Paul says here is the law is something no one can keep completely. And so there's no way to be saved by this law. Let's continue. Verse number 13 now. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So number three is Jesus. Number three, what Paul is saying is Jesus came to set us free from this curse of the law that we couldn't uphold. Not only that, Jesus also came to fulfill the promise that was given back here to Abraham. And so Paul is setting up this idea that we have a promise given to Abraham. We have a promise fulfilled in Jesus. And we got this, this, this law, this this Old Testament law that was given to the Israelites, to the Jewish nation right here. And he's kind of wondering, why, why was that there? What was the point of this law? And we're going to get to that. But here's what had happened. This law, and you may have had this happen in your life before. Have you ever had a, a good thing in your life become a God thing? And then because of that, it becomes a bad thing? Have you ever had something in your life that, that was good? There was nothing wrong with it. Like morally, it's neutral. It's, it's something that could be money. It could be possessions. It could be status or a job. It could be, there's a lot of things in life that are, that are good that God blesses us with. But sometimes if we don't watch ourselves, we will begin to elevate that good thing higher and higher and higher in our lives to the point that it becomes higher in our lives than Jesus is in our life. And so then that thing takes the place of Jesus and it becomes our life's pursuit instead of Jesus being our life's pursuit. And that's when a good thing becomes a God thing and then it's now a bad thing. And this is what happened with the Israelites. The whole Jewish nation, the whole group of people that came from Abraham, that God had made this promise of salvation to, they had this law. And there was a time when God was silent for hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. And especially during that time, they began to elevate this law and these traditions 
and, and these, these celebrations and these festivals and, and the, the circumcision and all of these, these markers for their Jewish nation, they elevated it higher and higher and higher and higher. And so they were no longer following and believing in God. They were following and in believing in this law, thinking that this law gave them favor with God. So this law became their God instead of the actual creator God being their God. And that's an issue. That's an issue when any good thing in our lives becomes the God instead of Jesus being the God and we use those good things to glorify Jesus. So that's what's going on. So Paul is asking the question and he's about to answer this question is why then did God even give the law? If the promise was made here, Abraham, everyone will be saved through you. And the promise, the promise was fulfilled here in Jesus. Jesus, you saved everyone. You fulfilled that promise. Why was the law even there? And so let's look at that. We're going to jump ahead to verse number, verse number 19. Paul knows, the, Paul knows what we're asking. Why then the law is what he asks. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to who the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So notice what he's saying here. The law was added because of the sin of the people until the offspring should come to who the promise had been made, who is Jesus. The law was added until Jesus came. Verse number 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So here we go. This is, this is the key verses right here. This is why God gave the law. This is why we have 600 plus commands in the Old Testament that we, that we read and that we study. This is what happens. This is what Paul says. Now, before faith came, before Jesus came and we could have faith in him, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 24, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So there it is. There's, there's the, the answer to this. And, and it's, it's interesting for us as in 2022 and 21st century believers of, you know, why do we have this Old Testament? Why do we have this huge book that's, again, is really wordy and there's a lot of laws and a lot of stuff in it. But for them in first century, that's what they, that was what they had been following to a T for hundreds of years. And so for them, they really needed to know, what do we do with this? What do we do with this law? And what Paul says here, if you followed, was that the law was put in place as a guardian. I like to think of it as a babysitter because I have a lot of kids. The law was put there as a babysitter to watch over the Israelites, to watch over the Jewish people until the time was right for God to fulfill the promise. And so we have the promise made, 
We have the law, the babysitter, watching over the Jewish nation, watching over the Israelites, helping them to shine the light in their way to the world. And then we have God returning in Jesus and fulfilling that promise. So, so it's a babysitter. So thinking about my life and, and applying that to me is, I think about when, when my wife and I, when we go out, you know, that it kind of, it, it makes sense, right? Because, because we're going out, the kids are getting a little bit upset, they're not sure, and we're like, we make a promise to them, don't we? We will be back, don't you worry, in a couple hours, we're going to be back. But while we're gone, don't worry, we will be back, there is a promise, but while we are gone, we're going to leave you with a babysitter. And this babysitter is going to watch over you. And think about the babysitter. The babysitter doesn't, doesn't change the rules for my kids, right? The same rules apply. The babysitter doesn't supersede the promise and the, the parent, right? If the babysitter tells you you can have 10 pieces of candy when we told you you can have one piece, you better not have 10 pieces of candy, it's still one piece, right? The, the, the law doesn't supersede the promises of God and what God has already set in place. But the babysitter watches over the people, watches over the kids, watches over the Jewish nation until the parents return. And so what happens when, when mom and dad get back home? Mom and dad are home. We're back did you have a good time? Yes. Did you, did you behave? Did you follow the babysitter's rules? Did you follow the law? Did you do what you were supposed to do? Yes. Great. But the law wasn't the point of it. The point was just to keep you intact and keep you in obedience until we come home. And so then we come home and the relationship is there, mom and dad to kids, and the babysitter is no longer needed. The babysitter goes home. Right? So what would happen if, if we came home, mom and dad came home, and the babysitter's about to leave, and the kids say, all right, see you later, mom and dad, and they choose the babysitter and go home with the babysitter? That's not the way it works, right? That's not, sometimes we wish it was the way it works, right? But, but that's not the way it works. You don't, choose, you don't choose the babysitter over the parents, right? The babysitter is there for, for a time until the parents return. The babysitter, the law was there until the Spirit came at Pentecost, until we were given the Spirit by faith, by grace, and it's when God became our Father and we became the sons and daughters. So we can't choose the babysitter over the parent. We don't choose the law over the Holy Spirit. But we do that a lot. Even today, 2022 as Christians, we still do that. I knew, I knew, I knew, I've known many Christians who their badge of honor is that they follow the Ten Commandments. But they're incredibly unkind people. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Right? I know, I've known Christians in my life who follow the Ten Commandments well, but there's absolutely no joy in their life. And the reason that's happening, the reasons that happening is they are just like these Galatians. They've been fooled into thinking maybe they were saved by grace through faith at one point in their life, but they've been fooled into thinking, now I have to earn it. Now I have to work. Now I have to follow the law in order for God to love me and care for me and to earn his favor. 
But what Paul is saying is that is not the way it was ever meant to be. That when the parents return, when the Holy Spirit enters into your life and into your heart, you follow the Holy Spirit. You don't have to look back to the law. Now you follow the Spirit. We've been talking this whole, this whole summer about the fruit of the Spirit, you know? How many times do we as Christians focus on the Ten Commandments? How many times do we focus on the 10 and say, you know, I'm a believer and I show that I'm a believer because I do not do this, 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 I do not do this. What would happen if instead we said, no, I show I'm a believer because I demonstrate love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. My neighbors know I'm a Christian, not because I don't lie to them and don't cheat. My, my neighbors know I'm a Christian because I'm kind to them, because I'm loving to them, because I demonstrate self-control. A New Testament believer who is led by the Spirit, who is believing that by grace through faith, the Holy Spirit enters into our life, and because of that, we continue in the Spirit, is going to naturally begin to demonstrate these fruit of the Spirit, such as kindness, in their life, and that's going to be the evidence for the world that they're believers. You don't have to worry about the law any longer. But you may say, well, does that mean I just can throw my Old Testament out? Does that mean I can just like rip it out and throw it away? It's not that easy. It's not that simple. And you can't get away with that. And here's the reason why. Because if you think about the New Testament, one, one reason is because the Old Testament gives us a picture of the character of God. And the Old Testament creates lifelong, eternity-long principles that we are to follow. That's one reason. But another reason is, and think about this, is when Jesus came on the scene, think about how he responded to the law. Think about, he, about how he talked about the law. You can look in Matthew in 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. You know what Jesus said was, Jesus said, you have heard it said, do not murder, right? He said, you, you've heard it said, meaning in the law, in the Ten Commandments, it says, do not murder. What does Jesus say? But I tell you, He's setting up a new standard. He's setting up a spirit-led standard. But I tell you, do not even hate in your heart. And then you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But, but I tell you, setting up a new standard, do not even lust in your heart. And cut out your eye if you lust. Think about the Old Testament. The tithe was the, was the standard giving unit. 10% was the standard in the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't really talk about the tithe, but you know who he talks about? He talks about the widow who gave everything. Paul doesn't really, really mention the tithe, but who does Paul mention? Paul commends the churches who sacrificially gave above and beyond what they gave previously to the point that it actually inconvenienced them. They gave that much, and that is who Paul sets up as an example for our giving. And so what happens when the Spirit enters into our life? When we are led by the Spirit, by grace, through faith, one, the Spirit never contradicts the Old Testament or the law. And two, the Spirit never does less than the Old Testament or the law. Think about it. 
Every time in the New Testament when, when something is, is added or fulfilled, it, it creates a higher standard. It creates a higher expectation because the law was set there as a babysitter for, for the Israel and the Jewish people to follow out of their own human efforts. They couldn't add up. They couldn't meet it. Now we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And so now we have God's power inside of us working and doing the things that God wants us to do. God's power inside of us will always do more than what we can do on our own, like the Israel and the law. So as New Testament believers, what that means is our expectations should be higher, not lower. We see the law and we, and we may read that. That's, that's great. I don't have to follow that, but I should probably be doing more than that. Because I have God's power living inside of me. I see the law that says these behaviors may be outlawed, but I shouldn't worry about just not doing a few behaviors. I should worry about putting on faithfulness and gentleness and goodness and kindness and self-control. If I'm led by the Spirit, I'm going to go above and beyond these behaviors and make that a part of my heart and the way I live my life. And God is going to do that through me. So at the end of the day, as we close out this morning, this is, this is what Paul is, is saying in Galatians 3. If you read back over it, and you'll, you'll notice these, these three entities, the Abraham and the promise that God made, the law that was given for a time as a babysitter, as a guardian, and the promise that was kept, the promise that was fulfilled in Jesus. And Paul is saying to the Galatians, you came to Christ, you came to a relationship with God through the promise and through the Holy Spirit. Don't dare go back to something lesser. Don't dare go back to something weaker. Don't dare go back to trying out of human efforts because that's always gonna be less than what God can do through you. So as we close out this morning, the question I think for myself, the question for you guys is, if you let God work through you, what all could he do in your life? I think he could do amazing things. He could do amazing things in every one of our lives if we just let his spirit lead us day in and day out. Let's pray.